and hello, watch fans, and welcome to episode 9.91 of Sports Stuff. Can we change the name of the title to Sports Stuff so I don't have to re-record that intro? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Hi and hello, watch fans, and welcome to episode 9.91 of Wasp, otherwise known as Watching Sports and Sporting Watchers. Today we're picking up where we left off last week with a look back at some of the biggest trades in the NBA and a little discussion about our favorite Olympic watches ever. Mm-hmm. Without further ado, let's welcome the fridge to the side of his beloved freezer. Balaj, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. How are you? How's things in uh, East Germany? I mean, it's still piping hot. I know like um, when we finished last episode, I'd just been talking about uh, Lisa Carrington and Sydney McLaughlin, and that's definitely likely to raise my uh, body temperature to an uncomfortable level, but I just can't stand it. I mean, I was wearing a vest last time. I, this time I've, uh, I've gone fully nude, mm-hmm. fully nude. Just yeah. Full, full East German. Well, I really don't want to see that, but, um, there are things called the in Germany. You can find one and just go, go skinny dipping if you want. Um, you might come out with a fine, but that's okay. <laughs> well, I live in East Germany. So any body of water more than three inches deep is, uh, is open for skinny dipping. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Germans love that. Uh, oh, yeah. Love that nude stuff. Yeah, they love yeah. Love that nude. I see. Yeah. I mean, I'm still, I'm still a little bit body conscious, you know, bit, uh, a bit shy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have seen like all of my German friends fully naked uh, on multiple occasions, and uh, they don't seem to mind at all. And nor should they. They're all very beautiful people. Yeah. Well, this is not my, not my cup of uh, tea, I have to say. But um, I was, um, I was a bit surprised when I saw the people in the in the there's a section in one of the the bagazes here and people can be nude and i was a bit surprised to see them because i didn't know that such thing exists here but anyways um yeah we we kind of have a special uh episode today for many reasons first of all because it's the first well what is that the first episode of it's not a new season right it's just 9.9.1 we just keep on messing with each other and and the, the listeners you keep on putting unnecessary decimal points in this. It's not 9.9.1. It's just 9.91. Okay. We just keep breaking down. This. It's just so next episode is going to be 9.92. You know, we're not okay. messing I'm with sorry. the listeners. We're doing what we can. You know, episode 10 is going to be a live show. We always planned that. We always promised that. And we want to deliver. And there had to be some reason why we did that 1.0 thing right from the very beginning. Well, you know what we should do if we have time? We should do the 10th episode in Geneva during Geneva Watch Days. Just do a short one. Record it with two phones. I'll take the microphone. You take the microphone. We can put it on Instagram Live and just, you know, do it on the fly instead of having this big preparation of cameras and lights and stuff because it's never going to happen. You know it. You you just, you pass by, Kasru. I almost, I almost threw some Mickey D's on the train last time you were here, but that's all I'm getting. And uh, the people here in Baden-Württemberg keep asking me, when is Rob going to come to Kasru? And I, I can't answer them. So, you know... I don't want to bullshit them anymore. Let's just do a 10th episode in Geneva and, and, and get on with it. Then maybe for the 50th, we get, can get together. Yeah, all right. I'm down with doing a, uh, a Geneva episode. That sounds good. We should probably try and fit some jerseys into our bags if that's possible. So we have some stuff to talk about. But yeah, oh, yeah. why not? Why not? Why not? Um, yeah, we can do that for sure. Are you uh, you're hanging you're around on the Tuesday and the Wednesday, right? I think so. Yeah, we'll we'll find a, a an hour in the evening or something where we can do that. And you know, it's two twenty one, man. All you need is two phones with nice cameras, and you can record the action, and then somebody will edit it, and then 
uh, come out. We can live stream it on Instagram or Facebook, whatever the case may be. People will like it. We're going to have our usual 200 viewers <laughs> uh, yeah, like yeah, we yeah. had per minute. Per um, minute, baby. Per minute. We're racking yeah. in those followers. I've been getting some nice messages uh, in the well, in my Instagram inbox, actually, more than anywhere else recently, from genuine mm-hmm. sports fans all around the world. And it's just, it's just awesome. I've been having a really cool conversation with, uh, with a dude from, um, from San Francisco. Uh, he's a 49ers fan. Obviously, I'm a Cardinals fan. But uh, he's, he's really sore about me being a Vegas Golden Knights fan because he's a Sharks, Sharks follower. Uh, mm-hmm. And I always feel like the Sharks uh, have a pretty good run against us, but he doesn't feel the same. And it's just nice, like, to have these genuine conversations with people, like nice, nice guys uh, from around the world, and uh, forging sort of friendships and connections. And like, I could imagine uh, his, uh, his Instagram handle is uh, Instablane twenty twenty four, and uh, he's got a few cool watches. He's got some very nicely reasoned opinions about sport. You know, I like that when you can talk to somebody like straight up and uh, share some facts just means that like whenever we are on the road like traveling around like we're making these contacts and connections like all the people that have written in for the mailbag and say they want to meet us and like hang out sometime we could go on a little tour one day like going to stadia around the world meeting up with wasp fans watching a game doing some live stuff from there as well just brilliant so thanks to everyone i just want to say thank you really to all of the people who have been in touch and sent us like really positive messages we don't get negative messages very often at all do we actually i want once one guy was really panicked that uh, we'd replaced all other podcasts on Fratello with with sports because he's not into sports and he was really like adamant like I'm not into sports I'm really into watches. Um, is the yeah, watch podcast coming back? But, but wasn't in G pops from a fake account? <laughs> it might have been. It might have been. Yeah, one of the things you got you got to know about our team is that G two is constantly trolling us all from fake accounts all over the world. It's got IP, IP addresses from the moon, that guy. It's nuts. Mm. Yeah. So um, just going back to your original topic, indeed, thanks a lot, everyone, for listening and downloading and commenting. And um, I just uh, want to shout out one of my colleagues, Philip, who came to the company uh, as um, as a Fratello fan. And he told me at the Kennan Lennon meeting that he's a big Wasp fan He's listening to the podcast and um and he loves Fratello, so it's always nice to to get to know as Rob said and meet but also to work with these people um because they're awesome so a big shout out to philip for uh being a wasp fan and um i guess this is a, a funny episode rob because we started last week but then we thought it's going to be one episode and it's not so it's going to be a little bit of olympics from last week but then it's going to be a lot of mba as well um i think we owe the listeners our Olympic watches, our favorite Olympic watches connected to our bronze, silver, and gold Olympic moments of the 2021 Tokyo Olympics. Um, and I, this was my idea, right? But I, it was my idea because I saw that you posted a watch, I think on Instagram, or was it in the chat? I can't remember, a, a few days ago, um, which, is, which is a perfect, uh, yeah, which is a perfect uh, um watch for this well the whole podcast it's a cool watch it's um it's a swiss watch it's an olympic watch um it used to be a cheap watch i'm guessing you can't get it anymore but when it was available to the public it was it was something that uh you know not going to break the bank if you buy one so i think that's your favorite olympic watch maybe not so surprise me if it's not but if it is so then please talk about it and maybe put the 
put the, the, the picture or the link to the show notes because it's, uh, it's a pretty cool piece. So the watch that Balazs is talking about is a Swatch watch, plastic Swatch original from 96, commemorating the Atlanta Games, which are my favorite Olympics um, I've been alive for. Love the theme tune of Barcelona, but Atlanta 96, I was, I guess I was 10 and I was really, really into it. I was absolutely obsessed. And I remember all of the heroes we had coming out of Barcelona going into that games and uh, yeah, just some great highlights, some real like legends um, on the track and yeah, watching that with my dad because he's a big track and field fan, um, you know, some good, good childhood memories. So some of the few that I still have. Um, that haven't been completely obliterated by uh, drink and watchmaking, the two, the two great curses of my life. Um, and I, uh, I noticed that um, these uh, watches that they made to commemorate Atlanta wasn't just one piece. They actually made them for every participating nation, or at least the vast majority. I haven't corroborated that every single nation got their own version. But the one I got, and I only bought it very recently, um, is the Swiss team version. And it was just a coincidence. Mm. I think the only two that were available in this shop that was closing down, and they had a bunch of new old stock, and they had um, they had three of these watches. They had two Swiss ones, and they had, I think it was, was it Taiwan or China or Singapore. I don't know. I one went of the back Asian in, countries. One of the Asian countries was like sort of mostly red flag, I think it was. And I went back and I checked up online to see like um, if it were legit, if I could find any information on how rare they were. Anyway, I was sort of on the fence as to whether I really wanted to buy it because I thought I'm never going to wear it. But it was box fresh, completely never been worn, still in its um, original cardboard sleeve, still had the original hologram sticker. If you go on Instagram, my Instagram is at Rob Nuds. It's all one word. You can see this post from a couple of days ago, uh, or a couple of weeks ago. Um, the hologram is just absolutely flawless, just fresh. Anyway, I bought the two Swiss team ones and gave one to my brother. Um, and I have the other one. And I only put it on the other day for the first time. I was still thinking, do I want to keep this uh, like a collector's item? Because I have a lot of Olympic swatches. Um, ever since I started working for Swatch in 2010, I bought every Olympic and Winter Olympic special edition original that they did and i bought a few of the london 2012 ones as you can imagine because that was big news in in britain uh so i have a mm. stack of these things and i don't wear any of them but this one i thought you know what like what is the absolute ceiling price for a watch like this like what could i possibly sell it for one day now the retail of that thing back in the mid 90s was probably about 20 quid you know mm-hmm. um nowadays which wasn't that wasn't that cheap back then right it wasn't well, expensive but. yeah yeah it wasn't that cheap it wasn't but you know what i mean so like it was it was just like okay it's, it's still like it was not the same price as an omega then it was still like a cheap yeah yeah, yeah. you know pick it sure. up in an airport kind of watch yeah but i mean like so now like okay so it's appreciated somewhat since its original price i probably paid about 30 or 40 quid for it when i got it from this guy in new old stock which is about half of the course for a modern swatch i just got lucky that this guy was just empty in his coffers and he wanted to get rid of everything now, like, if I wanted to sell it to a collector, if I went on eBay and had a look at it and see if I could find one, I would guess that you maybe get one for 50, 60, 70 pounds or something like that. And if I'm being totally frank, I can't see a watch like that going stratospheric at any point. But it depends, right? If it, because imagine somebody 
collected every watch from every Olympic game, blah, blah, blah. And he's missing that one particular piece. And you know about it. And he wants your watch. And you say, listen, this watch goes for 50 quid on eBay. But I know you only need this to complete your collection. So for 65,000 pounds, it's yours. <laughs> It's a, a strangely specific number. Um, are you that guy that you're describing in the £65,000 your budget? I may or may not know someone who's that guy. I will sell it to you. Um, okay, so I, I have this watch and I, I, I was looking at it in its box the other day and I was you know terrified of putting it on in case the plastic had degraded over the last 25 years and it just cracked on my wrist immediately. But I tried it. It was fine. It's completely new. It, it looks like it was just made yesterday, to be quite honest. Maybe... The plastic is yellowed slightly, but yeah, I think I'm going to wear it every so often, you know, for Olympic games or like, you know, if I'm wearing particular retro sporting gear. Um, so I like it. It is my favorite of the Olympic themed watches I own. I do have a rather cutesy swatch from Vancouver winter Olympics with a couple of, uh, sweet little mascots on a silicon strap. That's ridiculous. I'd never wear it of course, but it was, it's cute. You know, I gave it to my sister or something. But yeah, this one's cool. This one's really uh, retro, but it isn't my favorite Olympic watch ever. In fact, it isn't even my favorite Olympic swatch ever. In fact, it isn't even my favorite Olympic swatch from Atlanta 96. Okay, okay, you're blowing my mind. Come on, there where is, are you going with this? There is another swatch which was issued in 96 for the Atlanta Games, and it is an absolute dream of retro watchmaking style. It is just, oh, it's unbelievable. It's great. It, what it shows... On the uh, 12 o'clock strap side, you have um, the American flag stretching onto the strap. So like you've got white, uh, four white stripes and three red stripes encroaching upon a blue background, which is dotted with stars. And then mm-hmm. the watch head itself is sort of like a translucent blue-greeny sort of color. And then on the dial, in the top quarter of the dial, you have like a blue background with uh, seven stars cresting over the Swatch Swiss logo. Then across mm-hmm. the middle of the dial, you have five runners in five different colors, yellow, blue, black, pink, and red, streaking across the watch face, tailed by like sort of teal green stripes to show their speed towards the Atlanta 96 Olympic flame logo, which if you remember was commemorating a hundred years since the games had begun again in 1896. And then in the bottom third or so of the dial, you have this lovely teal green background edged by a little uh, curvy pink line, which runs underneath the official timekeeper of the Olympic Games tagline. And within that green field, you have Atlanta 96 in white in the classic font with a beautiful, probably made on word art kind of shadow cast down and to the left in dark blue. And on the other side of the strap, on the tail end of the strap, on the six o'clock, side, six o'clock side, you have um, what I can only imagine to be a laurel wreath, um, which has been really badly stretched, really badly. Like someone's dropped it into Word, and instead of like like Word ninety six or whatever, instead of like um, like setting the aspect ratio, they've just pulled it. So it's just this awfully like distorted, like <laughs> oval laurel wreath, which um, encroaches upon the Olympic flame logo again uh, it, this side of the strap did not need that laurel reef is a terrible design decision absolutely appalling and then at the very bottom of the strap you have three more red stripes 
which are like uh, they stop at different heights on the strap to represent the podium. So you've got a number three on the strap, you've got a number two on the strap, and then on the very top step, you have the Olympic Flame logo, which is interrupted awfully by this lower roof. But basically, this is one of the coolest swatches ever made, in my opinion. It is one of the best-looking pieces you could hope to find. Um, yeah, I just think, wow, what a piece. I've never heard anyone talking so enthusiastically about watch watches. Oh, Jesus, I've just found one for sale. Deeply impressed. Ah, what, impressed by my (laughs) unrealistic passion for this Atlanta 96 swatch? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus, Balaj, I've just found one. I've just, I've been looking for this for ages. Send it in the chat, not on WhatsApp, because I I deactivated it, but here in the chat, I want to see what we're talking about. Okay, okay. Uh, But hang on a second. Uh, it must be majestic. It is, maj- it is majestic. Uh, I'm just, I'm going to buy it before I send you the link because I don't trust you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can't trust me with that. <laughs> really? No, but for those, well, yeah, well, for those of you uh, who don't, well, nobody knows, obviously we talked about this before the recording that I don't have a Swatch watch, um, which is, I know, shame on me, yes. But I have a G-Shock at least, um, but I don't have a Swatch, so... Rob maybe thought that it's going to be my first watch and it's also going to be a blow to his nose. But There you go, I bought a watch. I'm going to send it to you. I'm going to send it to you right now. Okay, hang on. Uh, I haven't bought it yet. still logging into my eBay account, so a mad dash to the finish. Uh, Well, this is the first time that we are actually witnessing a live, well, a live watch purchase. You guys (laughs) will listen to this um, a few days after, but... but, uh, Rob is actually buying a watch while we're recording the podcast. I just, I, when I was looking for the value of this, uh, of the one that I've got, which was deeply unimpressive, as I mentioned, um, and unlikely to go anywhere, I did come across this design and this one stuck in my head. And I was like, oh man, if I ever find one of those new, like in its box, not been worn, um, I'd snap it up. Like I'd pay, I'd pay quite a bit. I'm just going to, I'm just going to finalize this transaction for 24 euros before I say exactly how much I would have paid for it in case, uh, in case this guy is like listening to this and has a time machine. Hang on. Uh, 35. I know. I, hang on. Convert the currency. Okay. I would have Just, paid 200 euros for this. Well, okay, guys. So while this is happening, I'm watching my screen. And on my screen, I see Rob, whose eyes are just jumping up and down, left and right, probably trying to multitask, you know, listen to what I'm saying buy his watch, kind of be present in the podcast. Meanwhile, I'm just sitting and, and looking at a, a, a highly pixeled image of Rob Nudds buying his 24-euro Olympic watch. Um, <laughs> it's almost as interesting as, uh, I don't know, commentating chess or something. And okay. no disrespect to the people who love chess. I like chess, but watching on TV is something else. Okay, well, it's, I think like, we it's, like, it's like watching it on TV, um, but not being able to see the board. It's just like being focused on Magnus Carlsen's face yeah, while he's playing exactly. chess. And then they go, and he's won. And everyone politely claps. And you're like, how did he win? How did he win? Yes. Uh, there you go. Right, I'm going to send it to you in WhatsApp, right? So I've bought it now. Um, I'm I mean, WhatsApp, to send it in the chat here because I do don't that? have WhatsApp. Yes, in the, the, you can... You can chat. I'm here. trying to click on it, but it's not, it's not letting me paste anything. Okay, okay, anyway. Uh, oh yeah okay you're talking to me oh right it's because i can scroll down mm-hmm. technology man technology there you go 
I mean, I don't know. Yes. I bought, bought this article now, so maybe it's not even there anymore. Hmm. I'm sure it is. Oh, there you go. I have an eBay link. eBay Germany. Oh, yes. 24 euros. Sadly, already bought. Um, yeah. The watch looks as busy as uh, as Rob explained. There's a, there's a flag going on the top. There's the... <laughs> The Atlanta '96 logo with a with a very strange uh, shading going on, like there's a shade <laughs> of the text How bad going is it? into a direct, like a, a southwest direction. I don't even understand. <laughs> Official timekeeper of the Olympic Games, Atlanta '1996 Swatch Swiss. Let's see what's on the. Oh yeah, there's the podium at Atlanta '96. You don't see the first. Uh, do you? No, you see second and third place. The first place is actually missing. Yeah, that's the, I mean, the Olympic flame itself is the first place, right? So it's sitting on top. Of ah, ah, yeah, I see. Okay, okay. Interesting. It's a yeah. bit spurious, but yeah. yeah. Man, very cool. And uh, it's coming from Turingen to, to Rob's uh, secret location. That's no, just around the corner, really. I mean, it's uh, awesome. What a bit of luck that was. I can't believe it. It's new in box without tags. Unbelievable. Never, never worn. New battery in it. What the heck? So... So basically, uh, again, you cheated because I asked you for one watch and you've given us two, right? Yeah, I haven't even given you my answer yet, though. My best, you, and you haven't me even about my... Exactly, and you haven't <laughs> even given your answer. <laughs> okay, my favorite yeah. Olympic watch ever is the uh, Rising Sun, Speedmaster, Tokyo. Yeah. Bastard. Was that, that was mine. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on. You tell us that about my that pick. one. You tell us about that. That's my pick. No, um, that was my pick as well. But I, because I'm a vintage guy, I also thought about, obviously, you have, you have to go back and look at other pieces. And then um, I came across the one of Junkhans's, you know, quirky 70s chronograph, the Junkhans Olympic, um, with a 7733 caliber in it. Um, um, Thomas, of all people our very own Thomas, wrote an article, a TBT article about this watch, and it came out in a bunch of colors. Gorgeous. I remember that article because that watch is gorgeous. It's got the orange on the dial, right? Is the one you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. And, the, and I think there's a version with the blue on the dial, and this is, this is a very cool watch. So um, if I want to give a top three, that's probably one in, in my top three. And the other one, which I had one, and then I sadly sold, is the Omega Seamaster Chrono Quartz for the Montreal 1976 Olympic Games. Remember that. That's the big TV screen looking uh, watch with a with a chronograph. Um, um, well, with a time only part in in an analog display and a chronograph in a quartz display, and that was the first analog digital chronograph wristwatch ever to be produced. And I had one of those with a with a tiny bit of an error, and I love the watch. It's huge. It's heavy. It's it's one of those crazy 1970s Omega designs, like the like the Speedmaster 125, for example. That's uh, that's my other favorite. Um, that's that's my silver medal uh, winner for. That's uh, one of the greatest watches, as, and you know, I have to say, probably the best choice for an Olympic timekeeping watch I could think of. Yeah, but uh, why did you sell it, man? What did you? I mean, did you? It was a long else? time ago. I was young and needed money. And uh, <sighs> instead of selling my body, I sold the watch. And it had some issues. Um, you can buy them for 1500 up to 2000 I think it's, it's that's quite a hefty price tag for this watch because it's basically a ticking time bomb when it comes to uh, the movement and servicing it. If, if it's, if it, you know, buys the dust, it's gone. 
uh, I think it's very hard to to repair it. Um, but yeah, but that that's my that's my second favorite, and the first one is as we said, the Rising Sun. Um, not sure why I didn't buy one when it came out. Um, the price is now around eight thousand and up. Good grief! So it's uh, it's pretty 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 expensive. For those of you guys who are wondering, that's the reference 522.30.42.30.06.001, the Rising Sun Omega Speedmaster with the beautiful uh, burgundy red bezel and this um, silvery snow white-ish uh, dial. So it's a lovely watch. So um, Rob and I apparently have a good taste in Speedmasters. Yeah, but you're right um, that neither of us had... Um the smarts to buy it when we had the chance i mean rj bought one uh mike bought one i think maybe g2 bought one as well and um i was i was i think i joined fratello in january 2020 and i didn't have a speedmaster at the time so i wanted to rectify that immediately and i ended up buying the broad arrow uh the replica 98 replica that rj also has and talks about lovingly and i adore it and i do uh prefer it still as a watch to the rising sun but uh, it was between that and the Rising Sun, which we nicknamed the Rising Sun on Fratello, by the way. I'm not sure which one of the crew it was that gave it that nickname, but that came from Fratello, right? That wasn't a, an Omega nickname. So in case you're Googling it, you might only find like Fratello referring to it as the Rising Sun. Um, and I think it was Mike. 24 listings now. Think, and 2024 listings, of course, because it's caught on, just like Speedy Tuesday. Hashtag Speedy Tuesday, don't forget yep. to tag your photos with that and tag us in it as well. But yeah, um, I had the choice between the Broad Arrow and the, and the Rising Sun. There were, according to Reynold at the time, there were a couple of pieces still remaining, even as late as January last year. And uh, did I make the wrong decision? I don't regret it when I look at the watch on my wrist, but I do regret it when I look at what it costs to buy the Rising Sun now. I wish I'd bought them both, but that would, been, that would have been a bit of a uncharacteristically baller move for me at the time. So... Yeah, but you bought another very nice speedy, which I'm guessing you have not received yet. But when you will, you'll talk about it. Oh, you mean the um, the Snoopy? Yeah. Yeah, it's waiting for me in a boutique somewhere. Uh, I won't mention where in case anybody wants to raid that boutique and get it. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have it waiting and it to be ready. And that's very nice that Omega got it ready only what was it, six months mm-hmm. after, which I, I'm not being sarcastic there. I'm actually like pretty chuffed with the turnaround. Yeah. Um, but it's 9,600 euros, right? And um, yeah. It, it means that Pratello pays well. There you go. Uh, I mean, it's a lot It's a lot of money. It's a, it's a lot of it money. Is. And it's Pratello um, <laughs> pays well enough. And I also have like no life outside of watchmaking. So I just uh, <laughs> save the th- for things like this. And if you get the chance to buy one, I guess it is an absolute no-brainer from a financial perspective too. I do not intend on flipping this piece. I've never bought a watch to flip. Uh, it, I've had the opportunity to buy some good watches that would have made me some good money. Uh, but it's just it just doesn't sit right with me because I'm a, a watch lover. You know, interestingly, I was reading one of RJ's articles the other day. I wasn't copy editing it now because we have a copy editor in place, so I don't have to do that anymore. I was actually reading it for fun on my, uh, on my day off. Mm. And uh, he... Raise the discussion about what it takes to sort of like refer to oneself or think of oneself as a watch collector rather than a watch lover. And he got a bit of heat in the comments for some of the phrasing that he used. But I think um, I think the idea was actually like a little bit misunderstood. Like what he was trying to say um, was that he 
he still doesn't regard himself as a watch collector. Like he regards himself as a watch lover and a watch enthusiast. Uh, weirdly, he does regard himself as a collector of Speedmasters. So that's like a sort of subcategory. But like he buys what he likes and he wears what he likes and he would encourage anyone else to do the same. And I also um, say this to people like I'm a watch lover. I do not like buy strategically. But like, aren't we all? Well, yeah, I think all of us. We, Fratello I mean, are. we. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. I think that we are. And I think that kind of unites us and that, that binds us together because yeah. we have the same philosophy. But it is weird because yeah. I think that people would assume that our collections maybe make a bit more sense than they do. I mean, you are a good example because you're not a watch collector, but you do collect Angulus watches, vintage Angulus. So you have several of those pieces. Interesting. Just a weird fluke. So Dave came, Dave came over to Dresden the other day to visit and he wanted to see my watch collection. So we went to the bank and we opened the safe mm-hmm. and we got the watches out and we we're having a look at them in the vault. And because uh, obviously nobody keeps like a watch collection at home. That would be mental. No. That would be insane. Yeah. Uh, so we're standing in there in the bank vault and we're looking at this collection and I don't have many like friends, full stop, but I don't have many friends that are into watchmaking in, in that kind of way. And so I, I don't get to present my collection to people very often. And mm-hmm. I, was, I felt quite self-conscious about it in, in doing so, not because I'm embarrassed by any of the pieces I have in, in the boxes, not at all, but I was sort of thinking there is no coherence here at all it is a collection that has a lot of like good pieces in it as individual pieces but like there are no or very few like essential classics in there so like let's say i have no reverser i have no Mm. submariner i have no uh seamaster even i have you know give me another give me give me a brand a, a, a classic brand i have I have no IWC pilot. Breitling Navy timer. I have no Navy timer. I have no chronomat. You know, I do have an aerospace. But, you know, it's a weird one. But um, there you go. So I was, I was going through like some of the major brands in my head and thinking, you know what? I really have bought slightly weird watches. I mean, I have, I, okay. So we have the special edition projects with Fratello that I am heavily involved in. I have the Minase that I did at the start of the year and the, obviously the Chapek. I have five Nomos. I work for the company. Uh, for goodness sake, of course. I got the Brightling Aerospace. Um, I've got a Bremont I picked up after I left the company. I've got two Laventure watches. You know, I love Laventure. And, you know, they're not cheap watches, but they don't have any kind of, like, um, heritage cachet, as it were. Um, and there's the Speedmaster in there, of course, which Speedy is probably the most, like, I would say, automatically credible watch that I have. And uh, mm-hmm. I thought, here I am, a guy with, like, you know, a significant enough collection for it to be in a bank. Uh, you know, it's not like a, a couple of boxes that cost me chump change. And I, I've just spent a lot of money on a lot of stuff that I really like a lot. And there's no strategy, no cohesion, no intent beyond the ownership and enjoyment of those little products in those boxes. And on the one hand, it made me kind of feel sort of good and kind of empowered by it. And like, oh, wow, you know, like, I really have not been swayed by like what I should have. I just have what I like. And then on the other hand, I was thinking, man, should I not buy a little smarter? Like, should I not like really try and do something like with the collection, with the insights that we have, with the things that we see? Um, you know, sometimes we get to see stuff before other people. That's really, really nice. Mm-hmm. Should I not? Should we not be collectors? And then I suppose the conclusion no. I came to very quickly was no, <laughs> no, we shouldn't. We should just love no. it and just keep loving it and keep doing what we're doing. 
and appreciate. Sometimes we will buy things that we'll appreciate, and sometimes we will buy things that will go through the floor. But as long as we buy them for the right reasons, then you don't really lose, right? Yeah, I mean, this topic is is worth a, a six-hour-long podcast in itself. Um, what I hate is when you know you have these cloud-chasing Instagram profiles or pictures, and you see a box, a probably a very expensive Louis Vuitton watch box full of APs. Uh, everything from the modern collection. I said, look at this collection. That's not a collection. That's a lot of money. I go into an AD and I say, I have $600,000. I need 15 APs in an expensive box so I can put it on Instagram. I, I don't consider that a collection. I see pictures of, of set boxes filled with Rolexes, still that sticker on them and the plastic uh, bezel cover on them because people buy that stuff for, for investment reasons or whatever. That, those probably are collectors if you want to talk about our investors, whatever, but I mean, who invests in a watch, right? Um, I don't consider myself a collector uh, like that. Yes, I have a lot of watches. You can call it a collection, but I don't buy them because Instagram or, or social media or cloud tells me to do so. I buy them because I like them. Um, I have a lot of, uh, as you said, Angelus watches, which I don't really wear because they're too small, they gold plated or whatever. But I think that historically they're important for the brand because they have the in-house movement. That's a really nice way to get back to the conversation we started last week about your recent watch purchases. You do have a couple of Angelus pieces to share with us, do you not? So what is it? Show us. Yes, I have two. Um, this is a, a great example of what I just talked about because this is a small watch. It has two subdials. It's only 35 millimeters. So this is not a chronograph I'll probably wear too often. And it also has a yellowed dial, but it's a chronograph from Angelus and it has not the 215, but the caliber 250, which came after the 215. So historically, this is an interesting caliber and I, I've not had a watch with such caliber. So I, I bought it. And, you know, as I said, am I going to wear this every day? Probably not. It's too small. It's maybe aged a bit, but it's, it's important for me to have a caliber 215, 216, 217, and 250. And that's... Uh, that's one of those watches. And the other one is, again, an Angelus. This is a Chronodato, which is a chronograph and a triple date version. And that's a solid gold, comes in a solid gold case. And it came in an original box, which is very rare to see an original Angelus box. They don't really... They, yeah, you can't buy them anymore like you can buy an Omega or a Certina. And um, I, funnily enough, I have two of these watches because while I bought this and it, it was serviced, I found another one, which was super cheap. So I, I bought it. And this has the 217 caliber, so um, probably I need to sell one of those and maybe fund another purchase. But, but um, yeah, these are maybe I'll wear this one, but it's a 37 millimeter gold case, vintage, two subdial chronograph. If you know me and you know my style, you know that this is not the watch I usually wear. I would much rather wear a Speedmaster or a G Shock uh, than this. And if I want to wear a dress watch, I have plenty. But um, do I consider my, am I a collector now? Probably, but I'm not buying it for the monetary value. I'm buying it because I like the brand. I like the, uh, the, the complications. I like the caliber. So I went for it. Maybe we should change um, the terms or like, you know, add a couple more in there to better define what we're talking about here. So, you know, let's say someone that just buys watch, let's, let's use me as an example here. Let's say I'm a watch lover yeah. okay? or a watch enthusiast is maybe the term I would prefer. Let's say that you are a watch collector of Angulus. Let's ignore the other stuff for now, just for a clean definition. So if somebody has like a lot of one mm -hmm. type of thing. So I think the closest mm -hmm. I could come 
to that is maybe green dials or something because I have an, an an unusual representation of green in my collection. It's my favorite color, so probably unsurprising. But mm-hmm. not enough for me to really say it's a collection in itself. RJ is a collector of Speedmasters. You're a collector of Anglers. Perhaps, mm-hmm. perhaps the term watch investor is what we should use to define somebody that buys strategically. Um, yeah. You know, for monetary, for monetary reasons. Right. But already the term watch investor is stupid because you cannot invest in watches. You can invest in everything, but you should not invest in watches. And then, you know, if you have, I don't know, just a silly example, more than three pairs of sneakers, are you a sneaker collector? Because you need only one pair of sneakers, right? You need one watch to wear. If you have two watches or three watches, <laughs> are you a watch collector? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, you have a collection of things where you only need one. So I guess, okay, so yeah, that makes that kind of makes sense. I'm also a clothes enthusiast, and, and everybody around You're me is a jersey collector. I'm, I'm a jersey, well, I am a jersey collector. Yeah, that's true, actually. But there isn't really a theme to my jerseys because I have all kinds of sports. I mean, just looking to my right now, I've got what? Hockey, football, rugby, baseball, what else? Lacrosse. Uh, basketball. Basketball, yeah. Well done. Um, yeah, quite a few, maybe a couple couple more things in there. Mm-hmm. Weirdly. Um, but no, the, the point the point I'm making is that's a scattershot thing. So maybe I'm a jersey enthusiast. You know, I am a jersey enthusiast because I haven't kept the tags on those things. Yeah. I haven't got like uh I haven't got them in frames. I haven't got like signed documentation of where they came from or what players touched yeah. it or worn it and what games did they feature. So no, I'm a jersey enthusiast as I am a watch enthusiast. Fine. But I think like mm-hmm. if there's a structure, a structure to your enthusiasm over something, then you do become a collector. It's a strange thing to say because I've always said quite happily that I'm a baseball cap collector. And yet now we're talking about it like this. I really don't have any kind of like uh, strategy to my cap buying habits. I just buy up a bunch of stuff. The other day, I was on holiday in Mallorca, and I was—I forgot to take a baseball cap. Okay, this is a man that owns over 50 caps. Forgot to take a baseball cap, and I wear them almost daily, much to the annoyance of my girlfriend that thinks like a 35-year-old white guy shouldn't be wearing a baseball cap on the top of it, perched on the top of his head like he's in the Beastie Boys in 2021. She thinks it's ridiculous. I love it. Whatever. I forgot my cap. But we went to this place, uh, a town called Alcudia, and we found a little sports store. Mm-hmm. And the guy had these, um, there was a Charlotte Hornets cap and a Seattle Supersonics cap. Oh. And they're made by sports specialties. And mm-hmm. I was thinking, is this legit? I was like, are these officially licensed products? Because I was looking at the label and it said a division of Nike. And I was like, what? That, these are, I think the only way these are legit is if they are old, like if they're new old stock. Vintage, yeah. Um, and they were box fresh. They were dusty as hell. But you know, a cap, when it gets dusty, it looks it looks awful. They clean up really nice. There's no pulls, no tears, no nothing, no discoloration. So I was there frantically Googling on the phone, like sports specialties and Nike and all this. And like Nike bought this company in like 94, I think it was, and then used them as a division in certain markets to make officially licensed products for leagues like the NBA. So I was like, I was shaking. I was like, oh my God, these things, if I put these on Depop right now, they'd probably go for 70 70 bucks or something. And the retail on these things was nine euros, 95 cents. Now there was like four designs in total. There was two Hornets and two Sonics. Um, And I took one Hornets cap and I took one Sonics cap and I paid for them and I went and I was very happy and I've been wearing the Hornets one ever since. 
about a day. Is it? Is it? Is it here? Uh, is it here? Show it. Show it to the listeners. Uh, the listeners can't see. It. I've got the Sonics one here. Uh, Show the Sonics to the listeners. The, 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 son- the, the listeners can't see it. I can tell them how it looks. <laughs> okay. Seattle Supersonics. For those of you who don't know, it's a it's a defunct NBA team. Sadly. Um, oh wow! Yeah, that looks good. It's uh, it's the deep green or the money green uh, Sonic Sonics color. It's a snapback, needless to say, with a huge Sonics um, text and the NBA logo on the left side and the Sonics logo on the right side of the cap. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's as I said, it's a snapback. And does it still have the tag on it? Uh, no, I took the tag off it, but I kept all the tags because the guy in the shop, rather cleverly, or whoever it was that worked for Sports Specialties, had either put the tags through one of the holes on the back of the snapback or mm. through one of the eyelets on top. This cap doesn't actually have eyelets, but the Hornets one did. So like, there was no piercing, no damaging, and it meant I could pull the tag through without even breaking the plastic and slide it out nice. again. So I've got all the tags for the... Uh, I ended up buying... Um, oh, so what happened? A day later, I was a bit quiet and pensive, and my girlfriend was like, what's wrong with you, Rob? And I was like, you know what? Why did I leave those two caps on the shelf there? I didn't love the designs that much, but I was like, they're 10 euros each. Like, what am I thinking? Like, I know these caps are worth buying for 10 euros a piece. So she was like, oh, do you want to go back to the store? And I said, okay, yeah, we'll go back at some point in the week. We were going to be back in that neck of the woods anyway. And I thought, as long as it's not like me driving half an hour of our way just to buy more baseball caps, that's fine. So I go back and would you believe they'd restocked the shelf after I'd left with my two caps. And there were now um, a Toronto Raptors version there. And uh, a Anaheim Mighty Ducks, or oh, yeah, the Mighty Ducks nice. of Anaheim. Yeah, Anaheim Mighty Ducks, yeah. And I took the Toronto cap off the shelf, and there was a woman like literally stocking up uh, as I was doing this, and she, uh, she saw that I took the Toronto cap uh, off the shelf, so she pulled out another cap from a box, another design, also Toronto, put that on the shelf, and I just picked it straight up and put it in my hand, and I picked up the Mighty Ducks one. And she looked at me like, because I wasn't trying these caps on, like, I, I, I didn't look like I was sort of there to, to consider a purchase. Every cap she got out of the box, I took it straight out of her hand and put it, and I was like, just keep them coming. Like, what have you got in there? So I ended up buying my girlfriend, like, a Chicago Bulls peak, you know, not a cap, just, just the peak, just with a little Bulls logo on, because uh, she wanted to get in on the, uh, on the action. And I bought, um, nice. I bought the same Hornets cap again for my mate. I bought... Another Hornets cap with a different design that I didn't like so much, but I bought it from, uh, for the guy I share an office with because I thought it'd be funny if we both wore like box fresh Hornets caps. So we've got different designs from the same era. I got a Raptors one for my brother because he's a Raptors fan. I got the other, another Raptors one for myself. I got the Mighty Ducks. Uh, I see the Mighty Ducks on top of the shelf. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the one. Yeah, I got, um, I got a Houston yeah. Rockets one as well. I think that's it. I think I ended up yeah, with and, nine. And, nine and at that point, dear listeners, I need to mention that We've been doing this, watching sports and sporting, watching podcasts for, uh, I don't know, for a good few months now. And um, I'm not as as uh, crazy of a jersey collector as Rob, but I do collect 90s champion jerseys. And that's a nice one. That's the purple, silver, and green Anaheim with a big Anaheim logo in the middle. And uh, what do we have in the back? Are the ducks on the side? And on the other side, it's the, the brand. Yeah, uh, sports special. The brand, personnel. yeah. So, um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a, Rob knows I'm a sports fan, obviously. That's why we're doing the, the podcast together. He bought a cap to each and every bus driver in Dresden and their, you know, sons, but he didn't buy any cap for me. That's a side note. Just, uh, yeah. 
keep this in mind next time. Um, maybe I'll be around uh, Wrigley how, Field. How do you know? The jerseys aren't 60% sale. How do you know that like I uh, I didn't just pick one up and I just kept it on the down low? I don't know, because you, you just listed everybody. You should have said, and you know what, Valash, this is for you, man, because you're the best host ever. <laughs> no, well, that's really, very cool stuff. This is really the... this. It it's as nineties as it gets, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I mean, I will probably have to take a picture of these and put these like the caps. Yeah. I should put them on yeah. the uh, on the show notes. Uh, you should. Yeah, it's really cool. You know what you should do? Take three caps, put them uh, put them on a table, and assign three watches to them from your collection. Oh, that's a cool idea. Well, I do sometimes, like, and you do as well, don't we? We do the speedy sports day thing. Maybe we should. Uh... Oh, we can do that. Yeah, with a jersey or with a hat. Yeah, there you go. There okay, you go. Cool. So, um, well, while Rob is putting the hats back or the caps back, we've talked about the watches, Olympics and everything, but actually we have a topic for today and um, maybe we should run through the topic quickly. Um, It's not that, I mean, I don't know, you know, we're talking about NBA trades and deals and stuff like that. Last episode, we talked about the champions, the Milwaukee Bucks, in case you you missed that episode. Um, And I thought that it would be interesting to talk about the trades that have been or, or had been going on uh, in the NBA because there are some pretty interesting teams, um, some of which we've already mentioned here um, regarding caps, um, that are forming on the East and on the West. And um, Rob kind of allowed me to, to, to do that segment. So I'm just going to, I picked, uh, well, let me see, one, two, three, kind of four teams and I'm just going to go through them and I want to know what you think about the, about what's going on. Okay. Um, so the, the first, the first team I picked is the Lakers, obviously from the West. Yes. So the Lakers signed Russell Westbrook from Washington, who, um, is well, a pretty big deal. Pretty superstar. Keep in mind, the Lakers have LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the team. Now they also have Russell Westbrook. Then they signed Carmelo Anthony, who is a fan, a fan, a friend of, of James. And uh, they also re-signed Dwight Howard. Now, Dwight Howard has a pretty interesting career because he's been in the league since 2004, believe it or not, not 16, 17 years. And then the first, um, first eight years of his career, he spent it in Orlando with the Magic. And then... He went to the Lakers for a year and then three years in Houston, one year in Atlanta, one year in Charlotte, one year in Washington, one year in Los Angeles, again with the Lakers, where he became champion. Last season with Philly, and now he's back to the Lakers. And um, so Carmelo Anthony, he agreed to a, a one-year deal with, with the Lakers, and Dwight Howard um, also agreed to a, a deal we don't know uh, how long? Probably a year, because at, at this point it's it's a bit of a joke. The guy leaves Los Angeles and comes back the next year. But yeah, but uh, right now we have LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard, and a bunch of other guys in the Lakers. Which means that for Westbrook, the Lakers had to give up and send the following people to the Wizards. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrezl Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, Spencer Dinwiddie, Aaron Holdig uh, and uh, Isaiah Todd. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players and cash consideration for Russell Westbrook. They pretty much emptied their roster, took in Westbrook and signed a bunch of new guys to this uh, West Conference Super Western Conference Super Team. I don't know. What do you think about that, Rob? 
I mean, you can call it what you want. Dream team, super team, unbeatable lineup from where I'm standing. Uh, we've seen it in the NBA several times in the last um, decade and a half. You know, these assemblies of superstars was maybe started started by LeBron when he moved to Miami Yeah, uh, from the Cavs, when he left the Cavs for the first time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, okay, you look at the 90s teams, uh, the Jordan teams, uh, the Pippen teams and whatnot, and you look at like Shaq and Kobe, and even you can look at the Spurs and their sort of dynastic mm-hmm. success with Parker in the lineup. And you could say, yeah, retrospectively, those are what we call now super teams, but they weren't assembled in the same way. They're they much more organic or they're built bit by yeah. bit. Like the first Jordan yeah. um, triple was very different from the second Jordan triple, like beyond Pippin. I think it was Pippin, Pippin and Phil Jackson were the only. Yeah, right. So they're two different teams, like um, can't compare them. And uh, LeBron has uh, ushered in a very interesting era in sport. And it's not just the NBA because you see it happening a lot more around the league, especially in North America, and the way contracts are structured and uh, debated, where the athletes can really dictate where they go and what they do a lot more than they used to be able to. Mm-hmm. They have a huge amount of power because they have this celebrity cachet as well, of course, and they just have the ability to just refuse um, the coach's instructions to play. They can just say, no, I'm just not going to do it. Like, So trade me. You know, People hold out now much more often than they ever used to. So when a team is able to balance the books sufficiently to bring in players of Westbrook's caliber to an already absolutely stonking lineup that is, is one year removed from winning the title for goodness sake. Yeah. You know, this, this is a crazy thing. Like it's not like the Lakers are down and out, you know, when LeBron first went to LA, um, it looked like it might be a bit of a rebuilding project, but then it very quickly became um, a procession to another title for the King. And now he's got Westbrook who is good enough He's one of those players, you know, like we, we had a few of them in a the league, like there was LeBron with the Cavs and there was um, Westbrook with uh, the Thunder. Was he not with the Thunder before? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And Harden with the Rockets. And, and Harden with the Thunder before. And Harden with the Thunder. Having Durant with the Thunder as well. And Durant was going to be on that list as well. Of these these superstars who carry teams, Yanis uh, as well for the Bucks, really, you know, yeah, or Simmons absolutely. for the 76ers if you want. You know, one standout player who is the team and is the franchise. And when you do this like uh, assembly of superstars as LeBron has done before in his career, and you bring maybe three of those guys onto one team and you have like a couple of decent players and a solid, a solid roster, nothing more, a solid roster behind you, you can just romp to titles. I mean, look at uh, what Durant did when he joined the Warriors, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, that took an already good team capable of playing small ball like no one had ever seen before to a completely different level. They were unplayable for those seasons. And I find it really difficult, really difficult to look past the Lakers in the West and the Nets in the East. We saw Mm -hmm. with this playoff season that's just gone, how injuries can completely derail teams' hopes. And you can never say for sure who's going to be standing at the end. But I mean... Right now, with the addition of another team carrier to a team that already has, well, I'd say two, maybe two and a half. If you think Davis is a team carrier, LeBron's one and a half team carriers. So you've now got between three and three and a half team carriers on one yeah. one team with with money, with like you know, with uh, vision, with a cool like environment to live and play in. Great fan base. Let me let me cut you off. 
with and that's true what you said, but with these team carriers also come eagles. And these are huge superstars. So uh uh you know and Westbrook is not the type of guy who you know shies away from arguments and 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 stupid stuff in the media. He's not as bad as Kevin Durant. I think Kevin Durant is awful. I mean his his PR uh, uh teams I don't know it's they they can't probably sleep at night. They have to monitor Kevin, see what he's doing and saying, but you know, Westbrook, LeBron, Davis is kind of a, a mellow guy, a quiet guy. Um, mellow, uh, no pun intended, because there's also Carmel Anthony, who's going to be probably a, a bench a player. Um, but, but you know, he's... Which is amazing. Which is amazing for him, but he's also a superstar. So, and Dwight Howard, he's okay. He's a bit of a clown. He's in his own world. But these are huge, huge egos you that know, have you know, to, like... This is going to work. This, you're absolutely right. That is the main concern, always the main concern when it comes to these super teams. But look at the look at the specifics of this super team. Look at where each of those players is in their career. And you're right, Davis. He's a bit. He's chill, so he's okay. He's the one that's sort of in his prime. Like LeBron is a great athlete. He's massive. Like how long can yeah. he carry on playing? I don't know. But Westbrook, Westbrook doesn't have a championship yet. He doesn't no. have that to his name. He has gone there to win a championship. He's not gone there to be top yeah. dog. He's, no one yeah, goes to true. a team with LeBron to be top dog. And LeBron has got, what, uh, how many has he got? Four championships now? Two of the Heat, one of the Lakers, one of the Cavs? Two, yeah, two in Miami, one of the Cavs, one of the Lakers, yeah. Anton Davis is a champion. Dwight Howard is a champion. Right. These guys, they're chill. They know that Westbrook will come and give them that little bit of extra juice yeah. they need to get back to the big game. But he'll yeah. do And Melo. Because Melo also wants that. I mean, Melo deserves a championship. I, I feel that the guy has... The, it's like, you know, Melo to me is like Derek, uh, Derek Rose. Yeah, exactly. He, he did so much. And um, I mean, I, I'm not... I don't think he'll ever be a champion. I hope he'll be Derek Rose. Because he had done so much for the game. And now he's in New York and he's in a good place and whatever. But Melo is one of those guys. You know, uh, uh, when he was at his prime, he was, he was unstoppable. Anyways... We will see how it how it goes. So that that's uh, that's the Lakers, as I said. The Wizards get uh, basically the rest of the Lakers roster and then some. I'm calling it now. I'm calling it already. I'm calling it uh, La- oh, yeah? Lakers to win the West, Nets to win the East, Lakers to beat the Nets in the finals in seven or three. Yeah, you heard it first. Lakers over Nets seven in seven. Could be six. <laughs> okay, let's go over to the East because the Bulls got the Mar the Rosen. From the Spurs and the big bull brother from um, the Pelicans. So on the East Coast with the Chicago Bulls, you have now DeMar DeRozan, Toronto Raptors, uh, San Antonio Spurs, and now Chicago Bulls. And then you have Mr. Ball, Lonzo Ball from the Lakers, aforementioned Lakers, then the Pelicans, and now also with the Bulls. So Alonzo is, he's, and he's actually signing a four-year, $85 million deal with the Bulls, which is not too bad. And DeMar DeRozan signed a three-year, $85 million deal with the Bulls. To think about it, I've always thought that DeMar DeRozan is a bigger star than Lonzo. And okay, he's getting 85 in, in, for three years, and Lonzo's getting 85 for four years. But the, the difference is not that big, is it, between the salaries and, of these two guys? Because Lonzo, is, remember, he's only been in the league for, what, four years? I think it's appropriate, to be quite frank. I think that salaries, when they are established salaries for established team players, and you have someone coming in new, you're obviously going to break the bank to get the new guy coming in. Sure. And that's going to piss off some people in the building, but 
you know, they can't do anything about it because they're already under contract. But when you're bringing in guys contemporaneously at the very same time, you kind of have to be like diplomatic. And like, like I think you, you hit on the kind of the point there. It's the same amount of money just over a different period of time. So obviously one guy's getting significantly more than the other, but it doesn't really feel like the other guy's being disrespected mm. in, uh, in the same way. Because, you know, a lot of people know contracts don't run their course all the time. And, you know, I don't know what the specifics of these two deals are, whether they have the same amount of guarantees yeah. or whether there's any like add-ons or incentives attached to the, to one or the other, but I think it's fine. I think like, again, you, I mean, you struck upon the point with Lakers ego management and uh, that is really a lot of what managers these days have to do is just to keep their superstars in check and make sure that they feel comfortable and mm-hmm. happy and, uh, and respected and loved. So. Yeah, and not to mention that the Bulls have players such as Zach Levine, such as Nikola Vucevic, such as Kobe White. So it's uh, it's going to be a pretty strong team in the East. I'm really curious. I'm, I we might see a, a second coming of the of the great Chicago Bulls in the East. We'll we'll see. It's going to be interesting, anyways. And then if we go back to the West, the Warriors re-signed Andre Iguodala, who left for a year, went to Miami. And obviously, he was uh, one of the cornerstones of the championship teams in 2017, 18, etc. And then he left. He was an MVP one year, wasn't he? Yep. Not a, now he's back. He's back from Miami. Uh, agreed to sign with the Golden State Warriors. We don't know any specifics. But um, yeah, other than Durant, um, pretty much everybody's back. Steve Kerr's still there. Steph Curry just uh, did a contract extension. Andre Iguodala is there. Draymond Green? Draymond Green, thank you. He's still there. So... Um, and hopefully Clay Thompson will come back after his injury, after his two-year hiatus, and maybe we'll be able to talk to him. Wink, wink. Yeah, wink, hope so. To so get on it. We don't. We want Thompson yes. on the show. So yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's about the Warriors. And just a little, 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 little news: the Heat signed Kyle Lowry from Toronto, and Jimmy Butler is also expected to agree uh, an extension. I like those pickups. I like those a lot. I think they're really good for the Heat. Um, but I don't see the Heat as doing anything at all this year. Uh, they might be a sneaky good team, and you know if they can make it into the playoffs, they could be a, a tricky out. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, for me, it's uh, well, it's it's kind of dead news. I'm, I'm more interested in the reformation of the great Warriors team. Of uh, mm-hmm. did they win three in the end? Was it 15, 17, and eighteen? Was that it? Is that all they managed? Yes, and then in two thousand nineteen, they lost. In 2016, they lost against the Cavs with LeBron. And in 2019, they lost against the Raptors. So if you think about it, in 2019, we had the Warriors and the Raptors in the finals. Then in 20, we had the Miami Heat against the Lakers. Then in 21, we have the Suns and the Bucks. Isn't it the best time to watch NBA? You have teams constantly, constantly changing in the finals. It is awesome. Yeah, I mean, like you say, the uh, the Warriors were ever-present in the in the big game for five years straight, I guess. Um, isn't it mad yeah. to look back on that and to appreciate that when the Cavs beat the Warriors in, in 16, that that tied up their, what became an epic series, one apiece. You know, it always felt to me like the Warriors were ahead. It always felt like, oh, the Warriors had won three and then the Cavs won one and then the Warriors won another one. But it was like, it was one nil, one all, and then two, one and two, three with the 17 and the 18 yeah. victories. Just crazy, man. Crazy. And well, yeah, I mean, I love these rivalries and I enjoyed that period very much because I was watching a lot of um, basketball. I mean, that was 
16, 17, 18 was when I was in the States with Nomos. Yeah. So like I was, I was really like there all the time went throughout the finals and, um, I was really pulling for the Warriors. I really loved them. Yeah. Uh, and I loved the way they played and great times, but yeah, this is interesting. I mean, what am I saying next year? I'm saying, okay, I'm saying the Nets who've never been, uh, that far. And I'm saying the Lakers, which, okay, they've been, there, they've been there recently, but yeah, I mean, it could, it could be someone else. Yeah, the Lakers, they're, they're, they're a good team. They've been a good team since the 70s, so um, that's okay. But I think, um, yeah, the Warriors is an interesting team because they really came out of nowhere with Steph Curry and, and, and uh, you know, with Clay Thompson, Splash Brothers and whatever. And of course, with Steve Kerr, I mean, you have to remember that Steve Kerr is a five-time champion as a player and a three-time champion as a coach. It's not bad. Eight champion. Okay, so if we bring like executives and general managers and you know front office staff into the equation, the person that's won the most NBA rings ever is Red Auerbach, with sixteen. Yeah. Okay, and he was like he was at the Celtics. That's probably never going to be touched, right? Second place, Phil Jackson has got thirteen rings in total, eleven as a coach, two as a player. He doesn't have any yes. as a GM or a front office executive, so he's like the most you could say active. You know, in terms of active, yeah. like you know, contributors. Yeah. Um, not yeah. to diminish the role of a GM, but you know what I mean. Okay, third place on the list is Casey Jones, mm-hmm. and he has eight as a player, mm-hmm. and two as an assistant coach, and two as a head coach. Yeah. So he's got twelve in total. Not Quincy Jones, Casey. Not Jones. Quincy Jones, Casey Jones. Right. Okay, and then he's got a lot of Grammys. Probably after that, we've got Bill Russell who has eleven, and we won't go through the rest of them. The mm-hmm. point is. Steve Kerr is currently on eight, five as a player, three as a coach. That's yes, pretty impressive because Kerr's not that old, is he? And, yeah, that's what I want to say. He's still young. He can still. I still see uh, uh, Steve Kerr with three, four more championships. He can easily catch Phil Jackson. He can easily catch Phil Jackson. And the thing is, Kerr is the kind of guy who, in my mind, once he's done with his head coaching, could easily move into a front office somewhere. He could easily be a GM. Oh, yeah. So Kerr could be on the sidelines for another 20 years here. Um, you know, he's 55 years old. So, you know. Like, uh, look at Jerry West. He's, what, 85, 86 years old? Right. There you go. And he's still active. He's, 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 still, he's still working with, uh, I think, with the Clippers now. So, Yeah. I mean, it could happen. I mean, yeah, these guys that live for sport that keeps them going a lot of times. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, Jerry Jones, not as old as Jerry West, but uh, for that owner of the Dallas Cowboys, 78 years old, and he's always dipping into daily activities and getting in front of a camera and talking a lot of nonsense and a lot of great stuff. He's a brilliant character. I love Jerry Jones. Um, but you know what I mean? Yeah, not many championships. Well, he had, them all, he had them all immediately after he bought the team in the late 80s. Fired Landry, hired Johnson, ran to two of Johnson, got rid of Johnson acrimoniously, went with Switzer, and then, you know, had he stayed with Johnson, Aikman could have had five on the trot. You never know. You never know. Mm-hmm. Still, yeah, Jones always trying to get back to the big game in the NFL. We'll touch on that when the season kicks off in about a month's time a little bit more. But right now, we're saying, can Steve Kerr do it? And can he add to that total this year? Have the Warriors got an outside chance of going to the finals? We'll see. I guess we'll see. I think he will. He will eventually uh, catch Phil Jackson. Uh, we, we'll see if it's going to be easy or not. I mean, Steve Kerr is a, is a very, very mellow guy. He's, um, I think, he's a good coach, as you said. He might end up in front office. So um, yeah, but we have the predictions: uh, Lakers in seven against the Nets. I guess uh, that's the perfect way to end this podcast, Rob. What do you think? I think that is absolutely fine. Yeah, so that's where we're going to 
that's where we're going to go. Um, there's an interesting one. We both had the same top Olympic watch. Uh, I uh, certainly went far more overboard with my swatch descriptions than I ever intended. I apologize if uh, anyone nodded off during that, but it was a fun show. Um, some good topics, some interesting stuff uh, to look forward to with the sport as it rolls around to the next season very soon. And as we mentioned last week on the show, uh, Primoz Roglic, friend of the show, uh, an Olympic champion now, is riding as we speak in the Vuelta a España and uh, doing very well. Looks like he might be making it three out of three. So let's keep our fingers crossed for him. And congrats again to his Olympic medal. Let's keep our eyes on the sport. Let's keep our eyes on the watchers. If you have anything that you'd like us to talk about, anybody you'd like us to interview, please get in touch. And so until next time, switch off the fridge. Unplug the freezer. Peace. Peace.